Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Just got back from vacation, like Caden mentioned last week. If I haven't met you before, my name's Austin, uh, pastor here at Good Shepherd Church, and it is our honor to be with you all this morning. Uh, my wife and I got to take a week and spend some time with family down in Mexico, and it was a wonderful time. I thought uh, one of the greatest gifts, I think, is being able to leave and knowing that nobody cares. Nobody cares. Like, everything was just fine last week. Caden did an awesome job kicking off this series that we are getting into, Life on Mission. Life on Mission. If you missed that uh, kind of introductory setup for the series that we're in, make sure you go back and listen to it because I think it really uh, gives a great compelling vision for why we would care. Why we would care about the mission of God. Um, God is in the business of saving people's souls. It is, it is not a us versus them in the world that we're living in. I think it's so easy to reduce Christianity down to this kind of argument about, about is, it, is it the church or is it the secular world that's winning? And it is not an us versus them conversation. It is a heaven and hell conversation. And, and that we should let that fall on us on a certain way, not where we're uh, defeated or discouraged or just kind of sad and melancholy, but we should be empowered and fired up and ready at the thought of like, man, he said it last week. If just every person in this church found one person to, to just share the love of God with, to bring into the kingdom of God, man, we wouldn't be able to contain it all, right? And that's I, I listened to that sermon, uh, couldn't listen to it Monday, tried to download it before the flight, but nothing, nothing was going well on the return home. Do you know what I mean? Like the Cancun airport is, I don't know if you've been through there, but it is, it is nightmarish. Uh, it doesn't, it's not that it's nightmarish. It's just that it's so chaotic. And in the middle of it is a live mariachi band just going on the whole time. <laughs> And so, you know, you're like, what is happening here? And, and my, my kids traveled so well, but on the last 20 minutes of the plane ride home back into DIA, uh, my, my little girl lost it. Like she just ran out of patience, started sobbing with 20 minutes to go on the plane ride home. Fortunately, she was sitting with Katie. Um, <laughs> she cried all the way through the airport. A wheel fell off of our big suitcase. So we were just dragging it through the airport. And uh, I mean, we left 84 degrees and we landed at 28 degrees. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and breakdowns are happening. Tears are everywhere, you know, and I managed to clean mine up pretty quick. But then as we're, as we're going, we get in the car, she cries all the way home and doesn't stop crying until we get her into bed, you know? And no, 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 it's, it's fine. We were in Mexico and like, it was a good time. It was a really great time. I just say that to say, um, man, like it was, it was fun and it was crazy, but I'm, I'm listening to that message on Tuesday morning then. And I just go, I, I'm so excited and eager to see what God's going to do in this series. Like I think Caden brought with, he, he, he admittedly, he said this last week, I'm bringing more questions than I have answers today. And now what we're going to try and do over the next several weeks is we're going to try and put some, uh, put some skin on this game. You know what I mean? Try and put some flesh on this skeleton that he kind of laid out. The questions that he laid before us last week that were so helpful and so convicting. If you did not leave convicted last week, I want, I want to talk to you after service because I just want to know what that was like, you know? But these questions of, of um, if we can fill this up, have you forsaken everything to follow Christ? If you want to participate in the mission of God in this world, then you have to forsake your old life and leave your old life behind. 
Now, the beauty of Jesus is as we forsake ourselves, as we, as we lay our life down, uh, he picks us up again into resurrection life, which is even more powerful and more profound than the life we left behind. And as, as Jesus picks us up, um, he carries us then into this, there's this invitation uh, to, to, to be commissioned by the Spirit of God, by Jesus himself, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations because all power and all authority has been given to him. And so we go and we carry his name and we have everything that we need to go and witness and proclaim the excellencies of him. We get to proclaim how good he is, how awesome he is, and we get to bring his kingdom into the world that we're living in. And the questions that he asked that I think were probably convicting for most people in the room is, are you even casting a net? Are you casting a net? Are you living your life away where you're, um, where you're actively witnessing to people? And, and can, let's just do this for a second. Um, are there some of you in the room? Because I know there are. There were a handful first service, probably like five or six hands popped up. Some of you in the room, like, I just want to know, are there, do we have some uh, people who would say, I'm, I think I'm evangelistically gifted. Like I have these conversations. I pray for people. I see people come to know the Lord. Can you just raise your hand if that's you? Okay. Yeah, like four or five people. That, that's amazing. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly. The problem is the Great Commission was not given to people who had the spiritual gift of evangelism. Now, I think the spiritual gift of evangelism uh, is a distinct gift where people walk in this in just a, in an insanely cool kind of way. Um, but for the rest of us, we're all called to be participating in evangelism, aren't we? The Great Commission was not just given to some of the gifted. Like, like one of the marks of discipleship, one of, the, one of the proofs, if you will, that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28 is that you go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. So disciples make disciples. And that's what's convicting. Because I think all of us on some level have some sort of like low level anxiety about our faith, knowing that we're not actually fulfilling or walking in the Great Commission, don't we? That's not just, we're, I'm asking the clarifying question. It's not just us on staff that's feeling that way right now. Because we feel this. We're, we're so protect. I mean, Caden's so sheltered. He kind of let us in on it last week, right? Like he, he is probably, like he said, the most sheltered kid of all time. But, but for all of us, like that work at the church, I, I'm aware of the fact that if I don't intentionally go out and meet people, all of my circles around Christian circles. And that, it's so easy to do as a Christian, right? Where we just, I have my small group, I have my church, I have my friends, I have these, and we're never around lost people. Some of you, that's entirely not true for. You're around lost people maybe more than you are around Christian people. And that's, that's an amazing opportunity. And it's intimidating because you know and you feel the weight of the Great Commission and you're not, and you're probably not doing it. And that, that's what this series is about. How do we live our life on mission? How do we do that? How do we do that? The, the, last, the last question, I thought it was excellent because it asks us the question like, um, is what you're doing now to witness to people working? Is it? I, I live in this camp and my wife and I have had this argument several times and she is right for the record. Um, it's most often how it is. I, honestly, how, that's how it breaks down in our house. Um, it, like she is mostly right. But I... Um, Nobody laughed at that. I thought at least some other women would give me an amen or something like that. Anyways, um, we have this conversation where I'm just go, well, if I could just live my life in a certain kind of way, and if I could just abide with Christ so deeply and intimately, then I am just going to look a certain way when I am around other people. And so, for example, like when I am, I, I expect 
that my, the, the extent of my witnessing is me walking through the aisles of Walmart and, and um, you know, I'm with my kids and somebody stops me and they're like, sir, you are so unbelievably patient and kind with your kids. Tell me, what is that in you that makes you that way? And I just simply respond, well, Christ has been this patient and kind with me. Would you like to receive him as your Lord and Savior? Yes? Amazing. Do you want to come to my church? Do you want to get baptized? It's, right? Does that happen for you guys? That's not how it goes down. Like we, we need a little bit more strategy about it. We need some practical ways that the mission of God moves because it's not just some ethereal thing. What is God up to in the world? It's insanely specific. Like, I, I don't know about you, but when I listen to last week's message, I now all of a sudden have my, my imagination just like running where I'm just like, yeah, what would it be like if heaven were a reality here in Loveland? What kind of homelessness would we get rid of? What kind of poverty would not exist anymore? What kind of kids would be adopted out of foster care? What kind of marriages would be healed? What kind of prodigals would come home? Are you, are you following this? Does anybody else want to see these kinds of things happen in our city? This is what the mission of God is doing. Like God is bringing his kingdom. God is bringing his kingdom and he's ushered in now this age where his kingdom has begun, but it is not yet finished. And our work today our work today and for this series, what we're going to look at is how do we participate in what God's doing in us, in our families, in this city that we live in, and in the world that we get to call home? How is God doing something and how am I participating as we go? So there you go. All of this series will lead us right up until Easter. And so the, the worst possible thing that you could hear out of my mouth or out of uh, anyone else's mouth over these next few weeks is, uh, hey, listen, Easter's coming, so make sure you bring the lost people in your life to church so we can have them saved and you never have to talk to them again. <laughs> that would be the worst thing you could hear. But at the same time, Easter is coming. And on Easter Sunday, I'm going to give my, like here, this is where I'm just going to level with you. You know it's not always amazing up here. Sometimes you're like, did he really just say that? You know? I am going to try my very best to articulate the gospel as beautifully as I possibly can. And I'm going to make an invitation to walk in resurrection life on Easter Sunday. That is what I'm going to talk about. And if you have people who don't know the Lord next to you, praise God, because they're going to have a chance to respond. However, that should never uh, be the way that you define the mission of God is, oh, I got them into church so the pastor could do it. In fact, I want it to feel the opposite. We're like, I've been witnessing, I've been talking, we've been praying, we've been going over stuff. And, and yeah, if they happen to come to church, great, but they're getting everything they need from me. That's God's vision for discipleship. Not that we have really big churches, but that, that people interact with other people who have met the Lord and been transformed by him and they get to share their testimony and that changes things. Amen? So um, how we're gonna move over the next several weeks is we're gonna ask the question, um, what progression or what, in what order does the mission of God move? How should we see it moving? And we're going to talk through these different kind of levels that I see uh, the mission of God moving because it always starts in the same place. It starts with you and me. It starts in our own hearts. But then here, let's, let's just jump, in, jump into it in Deuteronomy chapter six. I want to show you how uh, the, the mission of God moves through what Moses gives to the people of God before they inherit the promised land. So the people of God are about to step into the promised land. This is not just some random verse out of Deuteronomy that I just picked, okay? This is, this is part of God's grand narrative to bring himself to his people. Okay, so 
as, as often as I can, I'm going to try and persuade you to believe that this book is not just a compilation of random stories. Rather, it is one story. It is the story of God coming to redeem and restore his creation. Talks about how it was all made. Talks about how it was all broke. And there's a lot of stuff in between there to get to Jesus and how Jesus finally ushered in the solution. But the solution isn't final yet until you get to the end. And that's in Revelation. Right? It's one story. And so this verse out of Deuteronomy, it might feel kind of random, but it's not. It harkens all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God gave Adam and Eve this mandate, be fruitful, multiply, multiply, cultivate the earth and subdue it. He gives them an assignment to go be my image bearers in the world that I have made. That's broken with the fall. Genesis chapter three, they mess up, sin enters the world. It fractures everything. We go from there and we find this guy, Abram. God says, I'm going to bless your family, Abram. And through you, what does he say? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of my blessing giving to you. So now again, we have this mission restored. God picks Abram. We get now the people of God. They're starting to outnumber uh, the stars in the sky. His family is starting to grow. And we find ourselves in the book of Exodus, right? We've been through this. This is a review if you've been here for a little while. In Exodus, what we see is that the mission of God is trying to get stamped out by evil empires, but the people of God keep rising up because you can't stop the mission of God. God's going to keep moving. He's going to keep saving. He's going to redeem and restore and do all the things that he set out to do. You can't stop him. And so as the people of God come up, they are brought and rescued dramatically out of Egypt. They're brought to the foot of Mount Sinai. In Mount Sinai, they get to enter back into relationship with him. And God says, I'm going to give you a promised land and I'm going to be with you. And then, you know, it gets kind of a bummer, right? Like that whole generation, uh, they, they kind of complain and they wander and they, because they question it all, they don't actually get to inherit the promised land that God promised to them. And instead their children get to go in. So as their children are about to go into the promised land, these are the words that are given to them by Moses. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses is reiterating, hey, this is the game plan. And there are commandments that are given to you. There are rules that are given to you for the glory of God, first and foremost, but also for the enjoyment and for the betterment of his people. It says, you're going to go, you're going to inherit this promised land that I've prepared for you. And you're going to do the things that I asked you to do. And then we go into what's known as the Shema. Some of you are super familiar with this verse. Verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I want you to watch the mission of God move as we talk about it in this verse, as we see it revealed through Moses. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your might. The mission of God starts with God saving and redeeming and restoring you. You. Then it goes from there. It moves from there. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your 
children. So we move from the person now into the family. God moves into the family and he says, um, you're going to teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Then you shall bind them as a sign on your hand so that the other people around you can see them. And you should put them as frontlets between your eyes. What this means now is that other people can now interact with the commands and the words that I have given to you. So it starts in you. It moves to your family. Then the mission of God next goes to your neighbors, the people that are around you. And it doesn't stop there. It says, you shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When I first read on your gates, I think of the American dream with the white picket fence and the gate with the dog that leads into the house, right? But what this is talking about is the gates of the city. They didn't have like little gated communities back in this time. You know what I'm saying? There was no HOAs back then, praise the Lord. But there were gates around cities. And so God's, God's saying, you're going to put these on your heart, in your families, on your homes, for your neighbors, for your city, and for the country and for the world that you're living in. And that is specifically how we're going to talk about the mission of God moving. Um, I, I think that, that so often the reason that we fail as the church to participate in God's, greater mention, uh, in, in God's greater mission that he's doing in the world that we're living in is because we get so obsessed with our own personal salvation. And now, you gotta hear me because we just sang Living Hope, right? And, and I, I lost my mind for a little bit when we were singing that song. And first service, it was also really good. And I just, I said, I thought for a second, everyone was singing so loud. We had the new sound system. I thought that the roof might fall in and, uh, and I was okay with it because I was like, I'm going to be singing about Jesus being my living hope and then I'm just going to die and I'm going to go meet him and it's going to be amazing, you know? Like, and that song is all about hallelujah, God, you have set me free. God, you, you have rescued me. You've redeemed me out of the science of the roaring lion, declared the grave has no claim on me. Amazing, beautiful, worthy of losing our mind, isn't it? You, is your is your forgiveness of your sin worth your worship? Yes, absolutely. Is it the totality of what God has done for you? No, it is the beginning of what God has done for you. The justification for your sin, the payment that God has made for your sin is, is the start of you actually dying to yourself, surrendering to him so that you might be resurrected. The, the invitation of the gospel is not just to be forgiven, but to actually be resurrected and walk in resurrection life. This, like, this is what the mission of God is. This is the arena that it plays itself out in. Not in just the person who's been forgiven, but the person who's actually living with abundant life because of Christ in him. Because the Holy Spirit has, has captivated us and we're not quenching him, we're not grieving him, but we're, we're in complete surrender to whatever he wants to do and we're actually doing the things that he's calling us to do. So we're actually seeing God move in our life because we are following after him in the fullness of life that he has offered to us. And Christianity just gets so boring if you reduce it just down to, well, you've been forgiven. And it's good. It's not wrong. But I'm just saying it's, it's not the full story. Um, I'm sure at this point in the sermon, you're all asking one question. Why Jenga? Thank you. Why Jenga? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. Um, I think that as I consider, like how, how am I going to best communicate what the mission of God looks like um, and how we're to operate in it? Um, 
I, I want to communicate it in a way that you can maybe get stuck in your head a little bit. So I think that, um, I think that the first thing that I want you to understand is the foundation of a life on mission is your personal redemption and renewal. That's the first thing you have to embrace. Because if you just, if you live totally on the fact that you've been forgiven and you've been saved because of your sin, um, it's, it's good and you're gonna go to heaven, but you're never gonna walk in the fullness of life that Jesus has offered to you. And so you have to embrace not just forgiveness, but redemption. Do you see the difference between those two? Forgiveness is I no longer hold your past uh, accountable to you. Redemption and renewal is I'm now gonna use that past as a weapon against the kingdom of darkness, Right? So, so as, we, as we look at this, we have to start with the foundation of, of a life um, that, is, that is set on, fixed on, focused on Jesus and everything that he has to offer. So as we focus on Jesus and our life being set on mission towards him, and we focus on the fact that I've been, I've been resurrected, like the old Austin is dead, the new one now lives. And yeah, maybe there's still some stuff in me that's still getting worked out, but I am... I am si- Whoa, I was careful. I grabbed it, huh? I'm now setting my mind and my heart and I'm orienting everything around walking in the fullness of life that Jesus has to offer me. If you don't start with that foundation, what you're liable to do or what you're going to do is you're gonna build a whole life uh, somewhere else and it's gonna just be all over here and all awesome and you're gonna build this thing and it's gonna look really cool. The only problem is uh, Jesus would say, um, if you've, if you've built your life on anything other than Christ's foundation on the solid rock of Christ, then it's all gonna be on shifting sand. And when the storms of life come, he doesn't say if the storms of life come, he says when the storms of life come, everything you've built is gonna collapse. So tell me, like, if, if you have a beautiful family and if you have an amazing job and if you have all the comforts that middle-class America has to offer you, but you haven't built yourself on the foundation of Jesus and you're over here somewhere, it doesn't matter. What does, what does it matter if you've gained the whole world and you lose your soul? So our aim is over here is to build a life on this foundation that Jesus didn't just forgive me, but he's also redeeming me and he's renewing me. And we never graduate from this. We never move on from it. Like we always need to come back to and be reminded of the fact that, that the gospel is more broad and, and it's way more beautiful than just the forgiveness of my sin. That just God tolerated me for a little bit until Jesus came. No, it's, it's so much bigger than that. But what we also tend to do, right? And I think the reason that we fail to participate in the mission of God is because we, we always work on the foundation. So we, we come here and we're like, oh man, that, like, I just, I don't think I know enough about the Bible to really witness to those people. And so we start laying out this foundation and we just go, oh, I just keep, I got to keep praying and I got to keep reading scripture before I talk to anybody about Jesus. Um, there's like new Barna data that has come out that said um, millennials, while, while so many of them that actually believe in the gospel think it is the right message for humankind, like almost 50% of them don't think they should share it with somebody else. So they're just, I mean, millennials, this is, this is me, right? We're just, we're so focused on, well, I just, you know, gotta, gotta know how to defend my faith. Gotta know all the questions and answers of the Bible. Gotta know, gotta know my, uh, all these different things and we just build this foundation. But the problem is it, we're not building anything that anyone can see. We're not building anything for the glory of God. Like, like you can pour foundation all day long. What's the point of the foundation? It's to put a house on. 
Like my dad's a plumber, so I I have in my mind, like we used to go to the job site and just look at like a subdivision. And when it's all foundations, you know what that subdivision looks like? A bunch of holes in the ground. It's not that impressive. Like I want to go see where there's beautiful things being built for God. I was reluctant to use this analogy because it has some like Tower of Babel vibes, vibes, you know what I mean? Like, let's build this great thing and so awesome. So, that, you know, um, the problem with the Tower of Babel was they were building it so that, so that everyone could see how awesome they were. I really wonder if, uh, if they were actually building the Tower of Babel for the glory of God, if God would have been like, no, this is awesome. One language all day, you build that mug up as tall as it can go, you know, like, let's do this thing. But they weren't doing it for God, they were doing it for themselves. Our job, now that we're, now that we're actually reconciled and redeemed, empowered by grace, is to build a life that witnesses to the greatness of God. So we're trying to build something. We're trying to build something. We start with this foundation of the fact that you and I have been redeemed and we're being renewed by Christ and we never move off of it. That is always our foundation. And then we go, okay, God, um, help me disciple my kids and help me love my family well. Help me see my lost family members come to know you. And then we go, God, um, would you also help me love my neighbors well? And would you help me actually interact with people in a way that's miraculous and powerful like you, Jesus, interacted with people? And then we go, God, would you do something special in my city? Would you do something special in my nation? And we start to see these different opportunities where we can get involved and we can build things that are beautiful. But it never moves off of this foundation. And if you, here's, here's the kicker. As much as we maybe tend to overdevelop our foundations at times because we're convinced we don't have good answers for the big bad world out there, you know? The other problem is we don't spend any time on the foundation, right? Oh, I don't even know if I can do this. How many of you are so anxious right now? Like, is it? (laughs) Right, so like, the easy example to pick on there is like, what about all these uh, pastors of churches that are failing morally? And their ministry that they're doing is outpacing their character. And so everything's coming, come crumbling down. I'm not at all saying the foundation isn't important. My point in showing it to you this way is that we never move off of it. As we go throughout the series, we're going to continually come back to the fact that your personal relationship with Jesus, the life that you've found in him, is the biggest difference maker in any situation, in any relationship, in any environment you are ever placed in. The distinctive thing that's going to make you uh, shine like a light to the world in this dark world is Christ in you. And so we always have to be nourishing this relationship. We always have to be focusing on those first few words of the Shema. How can I love you, Lord, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind? How can I stay focused and fixated on you? But we don't also want to just let all of that love for him just terminate on ourselves. Otherwise, we're pouring a foundation and we're never building anything. The goal is to get so lost in him that we actually see that he's up to something in the world we're living in. And now we start to put pieces together where we actually start to bring his beauty and we start to build something beautiful so that others might recognize the goodness and the glory of God. Okay? So that's area one. The foundation is absolutely, if we're going to do this series well, you have to be in love with Jesus. Otherwise, we're doing something totally different, and I'm not about it. So if we, though, come together and we love Jesus, think of the opportunity. There are four or 500 people that call this church home. Man, what, what if everyone was just given by the Holy Spirit? Like Caden said, you can't just make it up. Jesus says, hey, drop your net over there. And Peter's like, oh, okay. And then he's like, holy smokes, a catch that can't haul in. 
So at the word of the Lord, we're obedient. What if Jesus, what if the Holy Spirit gave each of us a picture, a person, and we saw that person come to know Jesus, come into the kingdom in this next year? How beautiful would it be? How beautiful would that be? Like, here's, I think what I'm trying to say is we have the size in this church to make an impact that's really crazy. And I just want to chase after it. I just want to chase after it. But we're never going to get there if we don't each individually embrace that Jesus has saved me and he's renewed me and he's redeeming me. Amen? So from there, like I said, my Jenga tower is a mess. Some of you, it's going to really bother you. I'm just going to do that and it's just not going to be any better. Um, Where do we go from there? Because like, listen, if if you've been coming to this church long, we talk about this often. It's the four-part gospel, not the two-part gospel. We talk about this. There's a bigger story going on than just your your justification. There's also the resurrection life you're called into. We talk about this all the time. So where do we go from here? Well, the first place that we have to go, as you are being renewed, as you're being renewed, your family is your first mission field. Listen, like I wrote this specifically, as you're being renewed. It's not once you're renewed. None of us have arrived at perfection until we step into heaven one day. Amen? Like nobody's perfect. But as we're being renewed, the first mission field that we're called into is our family. Parents in the room, God has entrusted a little soul to you for the next 18 years. Probably less than that if you have them any older. You know? How many of you that? Like that's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's, It's exciting. It's beautiful. It's messy. But like, your, your primary area of ministry, dads especially that work a ton, it's not your job. It's not, it's not the coworkers that you work with. It, it's your kids. It's your kids. Your kids need to see you modeling and displaying a kind of faith that is, that is beautiful, that the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of, that is fixed and focused on Jesus. Your family is your first mission field. That, um, it makes me think of the story of the, the jailer uh, who gets saved as, as, as Paul singing in prison. And, and, you know, we have this where worship, it shakes the walls, it breaks things down, it's, it unshackles chains. And that's all true. That's all good. And that would all preach on a different day. But I want to focus on a different part of this story today. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Um, I love this because the jailer didn't ask a bunch of theological questions. Can you unpack for me your stance on the end times? Do you you know eschatologically what's happening right now? Can you tell me, are you a Calvinist or an Arminius? Do you believe in in women preaching? Do you not believe in women preaching? They didn't ask all these crazy questions. They just saw a miracle happened. The jailer saw the Holy Spirit move in a profound way. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And then I love Paul's answer. Paul's a smart dude. Can we all agree with that? He wrote most of your New Testament. He's a sharp guy. He could have talked theology with him. He could have argued different points with him. He said it simple, believe in Jesus and you're going to be saved. And then he prophetically says, you and all of your household. 
you and all of your household. This is what I want to focus on. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. I think God's design and God's vision for salvation is always for the family. Like God's, God's hope um, is so that you would be saved so that your unsaved family members would see you and come to know the Lord. I, I think that is God's heart, is that he sa- he's after families. You see this uh, all the way back in Exodus with the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, there was not a lamb provided for every member of the household, but for the household in total. Right? And that picture is to point us to Jesus. This picture is the jailer just going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want in on it. Let me go get all my kids. Let me come on back. Let's all do this together. I think God's design, like the Bible has just such a higher value for family than probably American culture ever will. Caring, caring for, uh, caring for your, your, your poor and your incapable uh, elders that, that's in your Bible, like taking care of and seeing to it that, that we are taking care of the young, that's in your Bible. And so much of that is just lost on American culture today, isn't it? But God has a priority and he has a vision for you discipling and seeing to it that your family members come to know Jesus. You have an amazing opportunity. You have an amazing opportunity. I'm not talking necessarily just kids. I'm asking you to picture whoever sits at your table at the holidays, even the family members that drive you crazy, and asking the question, which one of those don't know Jesus that need to? I think if we're gonna talk tactics today and get into, okay, so how do I begin witnessing to my, to my unsaved family members? It's either intimidating for a lot of us or, or it's kind of old news and we've tried it and it didn't really work and guards have been built up, right? You maybe have, you maybe have a sister that just wants nothing to do with your Jesus and your church and you just quit inviting me to that thing and, and quit telling me about that. You maybe have an uncle who's just living in all of it and he's just like, listen, just, just keep that to yourself. I'm good over here. Um, how do we do it? How do we witness to our family? If that's one of the first areas that we go after we've taken care of our own heart, as we are being redeemed and we start to witness to our family, how do we do it? I think the first place that we begin is with humility. Embracing humility. Embracing humility. Um, I wonder if the reason that some of us are neglecting to have conversations, faith-based conversations, conversation about Jesus with some of our family members is because we actually like that our life's a little more put together than theirs is. And I, I wonder if it's actually the pride in our own hearts that just, that goes like, man, you're just living in the consequences of all of your own decisions. And I wish you would really change your mind because then I could not have to hear about you complain about them so much. Right? Sometimes, and sometimes, listen, this is legit because as Christians, if you have really built your life around a biblical worldview, you handle your money in a certain way that you don't get yourself into a mess all the times, uh, all the time. Uh, you, you handle relationships in a certain way where there's not a ton of strife. There's not a lot of collateral damage in your relationships. The, the way that you've built out your life, if you're operating in a Christian worldview, like it does benefit your life. Amen. And so when you get around people who have just made a life out of rebelling to God, like you sit there and you just go, well, you're just being an idiot. And you're making really bad decisions with your money. And you're making really bad decisions with your relationships. And now you're dealing with all of these consequences. That's why I think the first place is starting with humility. Because when you get into that camp, what you're doing is you're acting like you received something other than grace from God. Right? Because last time I read the book, it is by grace we are all saved. 
This was not your own doing, but it was the work of God who acted and intervened for our beha- on our behalf. Amen? So as soon as I start to put on the lens of you idiot, if I can be that honest, I mean, can I be that honest in front of all of you today? I know, I know you guys all have perfect families and you know nothing of this, what I'm talking about right now. But, but as I start to recognize that heart posture creeping up in me, what I have to first recognize is, oh, I've been an idiot. <laughs> and God's been very gracious to me. God's been very good to me. I, I, I want to be humble in front of my family. I, wanna, I, want, I don't want to act like I've received something other than grace. Yes, some things in my life have gone beautifully, but it is, it is because of the grace of God alone. So in 2 Corinthians, I think Paul kind of hits on this idea, and I just love his language. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 and 15. He says, but thanks be to God who, is, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are being perishing. You can ask the question, do you, what kind of fragrance do you think you're radiating to the family that you're around? Are you this like beautiful fragrance that, that should resemble Christ or, or are you something completely different, right? Um, the, more, the more I press into Jesus and the longer I've been doing this, the more I just get skeptical about uh, crusty, crabby, cranky Christians. You know? Like, I, I don't know what kind of Jesus you're reading about uh, in the gospels, but, but I read about the wedding at Cana and I see that Jesus was the guy who... Um, like he was drinking wine at dancing at weddings, right? Um, he, was at least, he was at least providing the wine if he wasn't drinking it himself. Um, so like in my mind, I don't, I don't know what the last wedding you went to at, but, or, or I don't know what the last wedding was like that you went to, um, but if Jesus was there, he would be the one getting uh, Cupid Shuffle going on the dance floor. He, Uptown Funk comes on, he's the one who's gonna get that party going. You know what I'm saying? Jesus was also the kind of person uh, that like kids were just drawn to him. I know what kind of personality it takes to draw kids and I've watched my kids. I know what kind of personality repels kids. And there's a lot of people who, who love Jesus and yet their life just reflects and emits this odor of like crabbiness and crankiness and the way they interact with their family and the way that they interact with the waiter and the way that they um, act towards their kids or their spouse just doesn't smell good. And so, you know, you read this and you're like, man, I, I love that. I, God, would you help me just be a fragrance of the knowledge of you everywhere I go? And you're like, what does that even mean? Right? Paul answers. He tells us actually in Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He was humble. He was humble. He gave himself up for us and he was loving he came so that we might have relationship with him because he loved us. So I ask the question again, how well are you just humbly loving even your most difficult family members? There's probably some of, us, some of us in this room right now, you need to seek out, before you seek out any more witnessing or inviting to church, you need to just flat apologize. Maybe you've just been mean. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you just need to put on a posture where we, Romans 12, don't think too highly of ourselves. Don't assume too much of ourselves, but we, we live peaceably with all and think more highly of other people across the table from us, right? So that's step one is, is putting on humility. Step two, I think, is, is strengthening our families by prioritizing home, home. 
I think in America, just because of kind of our middle class uh, capacity and tendency, we just tend to be way, way more mobile and way less rooted than the Bible would have us be. Like we just go change jobs. We just go move into the next biggest house. We just have more opportunity in that town a little farther away. And, and by no means am I saying that God does not call and move and have you change things, okay? I'm just saying that I just wonder how much of our greed or how much of our uh, kind of wonderlust for what the next thing could be like prevents us from ever putting roots down anywhere. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like a need of home is one of the, like a need of place is one of the most important things that the human soul needs. If you think about one of the greatest consequences of the Garden of Eden, it, it, was, it was that Adam and Eve were displaced. They no longer had a place to call home, but they had to wander. And so, so quit looking for the best thing. Quit looking for the perfect church. Quit looking for the perfect job and just embrace the fact that nothing's gonna be perfect. This side of heaven, nothing's gonna be perfect. And so find yourself something where you can get on board with it and plant your roots down because the best growth happens when the roots have gone down deep. So we have to strengthen our family by making a priority of home. I think you see this in the language of Deuteronomy chapter six, where, where Moses says, teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So I think one of the best ways that, that we with our family members can witness to them is by just creating moments in our schedule, like build out routines that we already have so that we can create um, gospel ripe opportunities to have good conversation with them where the Holy Spirit can invade. Um, I, we took spiritual parenting uh, before our oldest was born. And that was, it's a great book by Michelle Anthony. I'd recommend it to anyone. I thought it was going to be this, like, how to spiritually discipline your kids. And I was like, yes, let's do this. You know, before the, even the little baby comes out, we'll just be so, you know, we'll just know how to do it, right? And it, it wasn't about that at all. It was about, it was about how do you, as parents, cultivate moments where the Holy Spirit can flood your home? So, I mean, this is real practical. Uh, one of the ways that we've done this, and, and by no means are we perfect parents. Don't ever get that idea. We have our own struggles just like anybody else in the room. But one of the things that, that I love that we've done, uh, our oldest was about to go into fourth grade. Now all the like uh, milestones and everything like that means you've got to start having some body and other kind of conversations before your kid gets into fourth grade. Because uh, just so you know, parents, grandparents in the room, the average age of porn exposure now happens at about eight to nine years old. So you've got to start having these conversations or the world's going to have it for them. So um, one of the things Katie did, rather than, rather than us just try and dump all the information on at once, she just created a pattern this last summer where she just walked on Fridays. She just walked on Fridays. Every Friday afternoon, the two of them took a walk, her and our oldest daughter. And uh, I'll tell you what, we learned pretty quick that our oldest daughter doesn't really like to open up when she's around everybody else. But if you get her one-on-one, -on -one, it is like the faucet of the mouth is turned on and it is hard to turn off. Like she just gets blah, 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 blah. Every, every other time that I go to get a haircut, I take Harrison with me. Well, like we just, we just drive and we talk and we sit there and we talk some more and we come home and we talk. This is, I'm not asking you parents or you with other family members because a lot of you don't have kids in the house right now, but you have family. What are the routines and rhythms that you can build out in your life where you can just invite the Holy Spirit to saturate it? Like, like how many of your family members, the only time they really talk to you are around the holidays and you usually invite them to church, but you all live in the same town and you won't have them over for dinner. Like, wh why not? We have to eat, don't we? 
How come I can't just invite some of my family over for dinner and we can just start having conversation? Do we have to talk about Jesus every single time? No. But, but like, let's at least get some groundwork of, of relationship where then they can finally say, man, I just, I really don't know what's going on here. And I can just say, listen, I'm gonna pray for you. And I don't know what's gonna happen, but can I, can I pray? Can I pray for you? I think prior, when we prioritize home, we create a place. And once we have a place that's steady and where we know it's not going anywhere, then we can begin to ask the question, okay, how can I saturate the rhythms and routines of this place so that the Holy Spirit can show up whenever he wants to? Does that make sense? The third way um, is that we, I think that we witness to our family by just continuing on in the hope of the gospel. We continue on in the hope of the gospel. Some of you have been witnessing and asking for your family to come to know Jesus for a long time and you're tired and you're losing hope. And I just want to remind some of you today that it is not your job to save them. It is your job to witness to them. It's your job to be courageous and to say things that need to be said. It's your job to love them and to serve them, but you are not their Holy Spirit and you cannot surrender for them. You can't. Paul writes in Philippians 1.20, he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Christ will be honored by me, whether my life or whether by life or by death. So, um, some of you have to just let go of the fact that 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 you're going to save that person that you keep praying for. And you got to do with this last one, this last point that I think we have to understand is um, we never, we never, never, never stop praying for harvest. I love that Caden mentioned this verse last week. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray. Let me tell you a quick story and then we'll shut it down. Um, when I was, I've talked a lot about how I, I came to know Jesus because I was following Katie, not because I was actually interested in Jesus at all. Jesus just kind of you know, got me in the process, right? Um, I, I spent a lot of time around Katie and a lot of time around her family. And I know if you were to talk to any one of them, they would have loved to have been the person who led me to Christ. They would have. They prayed for me. They saw, they saw a hope and a vision for their daughter. And so they didn't want some, some teenage idiot that didn't know anything about Jesus coming into her life. You know what I mean? Like they, were, they, they wanted to see me saved and they were praying for me. And I bet any one of them would have loved to have had that conversation with me. But it wasn't one of them. We were down on a mission trip and some guy named Albert led me to the Lord. I honestly haven't even really talked to him since. One of the things that I think you can be most strategic in praying for is not just praying for your family members for an opportunity, another opportunity for you to share the gospel. Because I know a lot of you have already shared it with them. But what you can start doing is start praying for laborers to get around them so you just might see a harvest in the seeds that you've been sowing all these years. So don't stop praying. Don't lose hope. God is after your family member even harder and even more ferociously than you are. Don't forget that. Don't stop praying. Keep on contending. Keep on knocking down the doors of heaven, asking that, okay, God, if I'm not gonna be the one to lead that person to Jesus, then please put some people in their life. Put a pretty young girl in that guy's life so that he would just be drawn to you, Lord. Do something. Like, I just, I just don't wanna ever stop praying and be so nearsighted that it's like, well, it's not gonna be me. Who cares? At the end of the day, who cares if it's you that gets to lead your, your brother to Jesus, your, your niece to Jesus, your uncle to Jesus? Isn't it just about them getting led to him? So pray for people to get around him. I know we're a little late. I heard we got out last week, so I thought I'd just, you know, really make sure we got our time back. I'm just kidding. Um, 
But I want to take just two minutes before we jump out of this building. I know it's beautiful outside um, and I'm hungry, but I want to ask the Holy Spirit to just give us some really specific direction on what family members to talk to, to call, to serve, to show up for, right? Because if we don't, if we don't have the Holy Spirit leading us, then, then we're just doing it in our own effort and we're not about that. So if you all would, would you just close your eyes for just a couple seconds? No one's going to grab your bag. No one's going to do anything weird. But God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you just, would you kind of just brighten into our mind's eye, light upon our mind, a family member that we know needs you desperately. There are comfortable family members that have nothing going wrong. And there are people whose life is a mess. And we are broken by the fact that they desperately need you. And so God, I pray now that you've given us a person. Would you give us an assignment? Would you give us a phone call to make? Would you give us a dinner to schedule? Would you give us um, a way to serve, a way to love, a way to show up? God, would you lead us specifically and clearly? And I pray, God, that you would help us see our kids. Pray that we'd just pray for our kids like crazy to know you. Pray that our kids would know you, our family members who don't know you. I pray specifically for the prodigals in the room that I know so many parents are thinking about right now. I pray that they would come home. God, give us, give us more laborers in this field. Help us, God, help us reach them. But God, I pray that we wouldn't, we wouldn't, um, would we not just settle for just kind of staring at ourselves and looking at how awesome our salvation is. God, would we be compelled and stirred up to love people and to meet them where they're at that they might see you. Would you guys stand? God, I just ask that throughout this series, um, it wouldn't just stop in one place. Would it keep moving? And we keep, would we keep uh, seeing what it could look like to have a life that's set on mission? I pray that you would show us people, divine appointments with family, with friends, with neighbors, with the city. God, would we, and God, we, we pray and we cry out for a harvest. I pray that lost people would come to know you and help us see our role in that mission. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.